Welcome to Feels Like Home, a home, garden, and design podcast with me, interior designer Sam Strzok. And me, stylist and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Each week, we'll bring you down-to-earth advice to help you create beauty in your living space and vibrancy in your garden. Along with insights and tips from our guests. Plus, every episode, we'll dive into listener mail and help you solve a garden or design problem. So send them on over to us at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. So pull up a seat and make yourself at home. Hey, guys. Hello. Welcome back. How have you been, Sam? Good. Yeah, this week's been really good. I feel like we're just rocking and rolling on a lot of different projects and things in life right now. So... Mm -hmm. I feel like this is probably the first week that I've come up for air post-Christmas. So it feels good. What about you? It's been good. I feel like I'm still in the post-Christmas like time, <laughs> uh, time, warp. time warp, tidal wave, you know, insert descriptor here. It's just been kind of a nonstop like run since uh, after the Christmas holiday works real busy again this week so just trying to you know make steps on all my projects and i'm very excited for the weekend is gonna be nice to slow down a little bit nice but yeah let's uh let's dive into some of our strides some of our struggles chatting about what we've been went up to do you want to kick it off sure yeah um so for me my stride of the week it sounds super nerdy and um but i cleaned out the google drive of my life so it's you know it's twofold i do all of our like business uh network hub thing Mm -hmm. whatever the term is manage all of its data on google drive plus i also have like a permanent personal drive for all of like my images and my five thousand pictures of my kids and just like (laughs) all the things and so um it felt like a big feat to clean that up and i did it which feels really good yeah yeah for my struggle i think it's we just have had like a lot of really random furniture delays on our projects. Mm-hmm. So that part's been tricky and difficult. It's really volatile. The market's really volatile in general. So, you know, we'll get some furniture that we order that says it's six weeks out. And then two weeks later, it's shipping and we have to figure out where to store it because oh, the house yeah. isn't ready for it or whatever. And then um, we have others that we'll get to the six months and then it'll be like, oh, it's another four months. So are those like the custom pieces? It's both like it's custom pieces and also just like specced furniture Mm -hmm. or just like pre-made, prefab, whatever. So it's yeah, it's made it tricky to navigate. We have a warehouse now that we started um, that we procured last year. And now that's helpful, but it's still just from a logistics standpoint, really difficult to kind of manage that. Like bringing the finished room together when you're like, and I'm missing like three key furniture pieces. Yes. So that's been tricky, but we're getting through. That's like uh, we got a new sofa recently and uh, we ordered it back in September and it was supposed to come at the end of December. And then they push back two weeks. Then they push back another two weeks. And then it finally came the last week of January. So I think it's just kind of what's what's going on. But it was worth the wait to finally get a new piece. But I do feel bad for people who are like waiting for a really important furniture, like a bed, so they can move into their new house. And they're just like, okay, I'm going to have like no bed for a month now. Right. Because we already have seating. So it's like, eh, we'll make do. So what about you? Well, as far as strides go, I've been reading a lot. Nice. And that's been nice just because reading always 
is really calming for me mentally, especially if I've had like a stressful day. And I notice that if I read before bed, even if I'm only reading like, you know, five or 10 minutes, it takes me like half the time to fall asleep after. It's just kind of like a nice slow, like turn off of all the busy thoughts in your mind. So that's been really nice. And (laughs) just like in general life pleasures and like small wins. I got some new bath salts and they smell really nice. Nice. Um, They're from... This company that I'm not totally sure how to pronounce it because it's L-V-N-E-A. So I'm not sure if it's like Lavinia or or what, but it's based out of Montreal and they have this coconut rose milk bath powder that just Mm. smells so good. It's like perfectly rosy, but not so strong that it's like a grandma-y, you know, like bro smells, just like the perfect amount. And then the coconut milk powder, like when it's in the bath, after you get out, your skin's like really soft. Nice. So that's just been like just a nice treat, especially in the winter when like, you know, our house gets really cold because it's old and drafty. So it's really nice to just recharge and get warm again with a super luxurious bath. Nice. And then with struggles, well, Sam already knows about this, but we met with the county. So, you know, we're we're working on building our homestead. Um, We had an idea of where we wanted it on our land. We have 29 acres out in the Columbia River Gorge. Um, And there was kind of this higher elevation part that we wanted it on because you couldn't see almost the whole property from this point, which is nice to have a vantage of the whole area from where the house is. But um, the county did not like that positioning because, you know, obviously it's higher elevation, so it's more visually conspicuous in, you know, the surrounding environment. So we are moving it to another part of the land, which I totally understand, but it is just a little bit of a bummer when you have... You know, I'm like a dreamer. So I've been like envisioning, you know, the garden and like our kids running around and like sitting through the window and having coffee and like looking at this specific view. Um, So just kind of mentally reframing that and changing your expectations of like what things are going to look like, which it's still going to be lovely and wonderful. But, you know, it's just another kind of struggle where you're like, oh, like that's a little bit of a bummer. But I, I totally understand where they're coming from but it is something that you know it it's still rough <laughs> yeah yeah want gorgeous photos of your home i've made five beautiful lightroom mobile presets that will bring brightness and beauty to your space and you can grab them for free at feelslikehomepodcast.com So speaking of moving out into the gorge, that's kind of what this episode theme is about. It's about moving out of the city and into a rural area or the countryside, um, which you have already done. So I'm like, you know, in the planning stages of planning the move, all that good stuff. But you did it because you were living, too, in like a giant city for a while. Singapore. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I was born and raised in Portland, too. So I moved. Not that it's far, it's only an hour away, but it's very different than living in Portland. So Hood River, where you yes. live now. Yes. Not Singapore. Not Singapore. Yes. <laughs> but I ha- I mean, we did, we lived in Singapore for a couple of years and then came back to Portland for about a year and then moved out this way, this way, moved out to Hood River. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that like, the transition at first? I think I was just like a little bit naive to, well, just like the nuance of small town. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, my father-in-law, he's a family practitioner, uh, so 
there's like no anem, anom, anonymity. Anonymity. The there we go. Anonymity. <laughs> there's no anonymity. Um, so, I mean, it just, you, you know, we go to dinner and people are like, hey, Dr. Gay, how's it going? And like, just, I don't know. It's just, just totally different. There's, you can't go to the grocery store and not see somebody. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different world. And then I also married into a family that's been in a small, in this small town in Hood River for five generations. So wow. a lot of people know my husband's family and, and my family. And so, um, you know, again, it's just different. It was a much more interesting dive than I was expecting <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. It just was not, I don't know. I, I think you, when you, in your mind, you think about moving to a small town and it being like private or remote. And it's kind of the opposite. You actually like are more integrated into a community and yeah. people know who you are. And there's a lot of gifts that come with that though too. Like yeah. I feel like my kids are safe. They have lots of friends. Like there's just a lot of good things that come with it. But it, yeah, it was an interesting transition for sure. Yeah, it's funny, like the whole privacy thing because you will, I, you know, I blog, I have, a, you know, my Instagram accounts. So it's like I'm putting a lot out there. But at the same time, sometimes it can feel weird when, I realize people are actually like reading those things since we yeah. were in a meeting with someone at the county, um, like planning stuff out. And they mentioned that they were like, they had read some of the blog posts that I wrote about planning to move out there. And I was just like, oh, like people are that like are a part of this are also reading it that right. I was not expecting at all. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it is like a community where it gets around a small town. But I do really love that, too, because, you know, in Stevenson, there's just like this cute like main strip of like down downtown stevenson i guess is what it's called and it's just nice to go into shops and see like the same people like there's this really cool little antique shop that i love that has really beautiful like reclaimed armoires and like i bought this really cool old mirror that's like burl paneling around mm, it mm -hmm. but anyway the lady that runs it is just real sweet and it's like always her there and you know sometimes she's like when babysitting her little granddaughter who's like running around oh, she's so like cute. the nicest lady to chat with and like it's just fun when you I'm really looking forward to being in a town where I go to the grocery store and there's like the same like two clerks working and, you know, we can like have conversations and get to know each other. And just it's always like, I don't know, just the same friendly face. It's just a nice feeling yeah. about that, which I'm excited for. <laughs> but, you know, like you said, it does come with sacrificing anonymity like you you don't want to maybe like show up to the grocery store all schlepped together because it's like people I know are probably going to be there. So totally. I got to kind of get my stuff together. Whereas in the city, you're just like, who cares? I'm not going to probably see anybody I know. So right. yeah, it's like a double-edged sword, I guess, in a way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I think about that often when I drop off Granger for school because I'm like usually in my pajamas, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> so um, I'm always like, thinking in the back of my mind like who's who do I know that's in this line dropping off their children right now too <laughs> and is this going to affect my professional career here so um but at some point I think that there's also like a pretty wide margin of like tolerance and grace for that yeah. because we are all operating similarly mm -hmm. exactly and then just going into more um nuts and bolts type things if you're doing a new build in a rural area, which I did and you did, or I'm doing and you have done, yeah. there's so much technical stuff that you have to think about that you wouldn't normally if you're living in the city, like just accessibility to like electricity and water yeah. and, you know, 
plumbing. Like, are you going to be on septic? Are you going to be on city water? Will you have to drill a well? Are you going to be able to be tapped into the city electric grid? Or are you going to try to do like off-grid stuff? Because with us, we wanted to go off-grid, but it was just really, really expensive and to be entirely off-grid. And then when we also ran the numbers for the electricity we'd need in the winter for heating, yeah. uh, the amount of square footage we have on a roof for solar panels wouldn't have been enough sure. to cover like the heating requirements. So we're tapping into the city electric, but that's not like right next to the property, right? Because right. we're far from the highway. So then you have to pay to have the line brought all the way out to where your home's going to be built, which can end up being pretty expensive yeah. too. So we're kind of doing that for now with the plan to put in panels and have the roof basically be like built to be solar ready. Yeah. But how how is that for you guys? Because your, your mother and father-in-law already had their house there. So there's already probably like a well are you, that you guys are using or... Yeah, so actually our part of the farm that we built on has water connected to it. It had water um, already nice. brought over to, there's like three plots of land. And so they had already stubbed in the water lines through the farm over to that side of the property. But we didn't, we so we didn't have any electricity over there. We didn't have any sort, we can't connect to sewer. So obviously we have to have a septic. Um, and then I think just in terms of infrastructure, we have a really long road and it's all rural access. Um, so it's right now it's gravel, but you know, we did not think about the fact that, you know, to get a permit, you're going to have to deal with emergency vehicle access yeah. and like widening these roads. So our orchard road originally was 12 feet, I think 12 feet wide. And we ended up having to widen it to 16 feet, the entire run of that rural It's road. a long road too. So I'm sure yeah. that was like, pretty expensive to do i mean just the road upgrades themselves were sixty thousand dollars so Oof. it was i mean it's a lot and yeah. the investment was really big so uh we obviously were able to offset that by the land that we were graciously and lovingly given by my in-laws thank you <laughs> um but at any rate the the infrastructure costs up front were just so much more so yeah so we had to deal with that we also are like you know, when you're not building in a a conventional neighborhood, mm -hmm. you need to deal with unforeseen excavation, like site development. You know this. You're going yeah. through it right now. Yes. <laughs> um, so we lived on a our, – our lot is a 30% grade, so it's like really sloped, and it's also connected to a cliff. So wow. um, it just was really com complex to get the house to like be situated on the property with the septic and then with the infrastructure needs that we – had so yeah it's it's definitely i think the the number one thing i would tell anyone that's kind of on this journey thinking about moving out to a rural access area is really just think about what the utilities are how you're going to get them to your house um ask the questions um, mm -hmm. from the realtor or whoever you're working with about you know how close the utilities are to the property yeah you know just really give some thought to how you're going to develop out the land because it ends up being far more expensive than you think. Insanely more <laughs> expensive than you would think. And I know it's like the least sexy or least dreamy thing right. ever to be like, all right, well, how am I getting my electricity and yeah. like my septic sy system set up? But it's so important because if you 
can't get access to that stuff, you can't have a house. Like, right. You just can't. So yeah, yeah, that's such good advice to do that. Like the first thing before you start getting too deep into dreaming about like where the house is going to be is like, you know, there's so much just like logistic stuff that goes into positioning a house on land that it's just good to not put the cart before the horse when it comes to that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. And then one thing um, <laughs> kind of going along with with that, just thinking about, you know, the environment, bringing things out there when you're moving into a rural area, you know, depending on where you're situated. But you're also a lot more in touch with nature in the wilderness, which is amazing and beautiful. But you also want to keep that in mind, too, when you're building your house to be a little bit more durable than you would have to build it in the city, right? Because, yeah. like, Sam, you had some issues with, like, wood, woodpeckers <laughs> and, like... It's like a bad word in our house. We don't talk about the flickers. Um, we've watched Encanto a lot lately because it's, you know, new Disney movie. And there's a song called We Don't Talk About Bruno. Um, but it's like we don't talk about flickers in our house. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really important consideration going into designing your home um, in a rural area. I think it's, you know, you've heard me go toe to toe with different builders. I'm yeah. just like, sustainable ideologies that push up against um, what the functional or practical decision would be. So, you know, in our case, we had to do fiber cement siding, which in case anyone doesn't know, like that's essentially just hardy siding. We did a board and batten look to it, but it's a composite fiber cement material. Mm -hmm. um, and we did that because the flickers are just like crazy on our orchard they like love to peck metal ladders they like have put wow. you know tennis ball size holes in our cider barn which was built out of timber frame so and sided with real wood so um we just knew we didn't want to be trying to deal with that mm -hmm. and so we didn't and then you know last minute we decided to still use plywood for our soffits and like they peck those all the time. And so what is a soffit for a, people who like aren't into yeah. architecture or whatever? So there's two types of soffits. One's on the inside and typically would you'll see it anytime there's duct work or like kind of a weird boxy looking thing in a house. That's mm -hmm. typically a soffit. Okay. Um, on the exterior, it's essentially your eaves, like the underside of your eaves mm -hmm. and um, how you want your house to vent from the attic space. So. A lot of times it could just be like exposed soffits where you're just seeing like rafter tails or whatnot out the edge. And then there's like venting holes or oftentimes it's finished, like there's a finished bottom to that. And then you put like a, you know, vented channel or something that looks a little bit more, I don't know, quote unquote nice or more finished, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we use plywood on our soffit and like to this day, we're fighting with the flickers on the soffit. So there's some big holes. They've torn out insulation of, you know, of the soffits. And so that's kind of one of the things that we're like, okay, we're going to have to replace the soffit material yeah. eventually with something that's more durable. So um, dealing with that was tricky. Yeah. And it, it is like a good point talking about sustainability. It's like, yes, you know, hardy plank is like not the most sustainable material, but then in the reality of things, like if you had done your whole house wood, you would have had to replace the entire exterior of your house and wasted all that material after, you know, a year or two when they've poked enough holes where right. it's not safe anymore. Um, and creatures are starting to get in and live in your walls, which is not ideal. <laughs> yes. And then you think about the long term environmental cost of like all that wasted wood that you have to rip off and still go with hardy plank in the end anyway. Right. So kind of 
you know, that balancing act between sustainability, like in manufacturing, but also sustainability and not wasting materials that will not be able to stand up to whatever, you know, harsh environmental factors you have where you live, whether it's like desert sandstorms, if you're in like, you know, uh, Utah or New Mexico or something, or here where we get so much rain. So we have to think a lot about moisture. And then out in the gorge, you know, there's a lots of creatures around, like you were talking about the woodpeckers. Um, So just being really aware of the environment, the space you're building before you move out there or before you build. So, you know, it'd be a great idea to talk to people who live in that area before you even start the process. Because, Sam, if I didn't talk to you before we started building, I would have been like, yeah, we'll just do wood siding. It'll be great. But like there are definitely like a family of woodpeckers that live on our land because we've seen them and they're pecking away on the trees. There's holes all over these uh, dead dug furs that they live in or, you know, hang out on. So I know that as soon as we got like a big, t- you know, tall house up there, they'd be, you know, really interested yeah. in that. So it just saves a lot of headache talking with someone who like knows the growing pains of that location sure, and can give you a heads up. Yeah. And I think, you know, other than that, really just considering what a tight envelope means, right? Yeah. So the other two pests that we get on the ho- around the house frequently are bats and then mice. And so, oh, wow. um, you know, anytime there's like a small and the crack is... Smaller than you would imagine a mouse or a bat could possibly live in. They manage to get in there. So, you know, you really have to be intentional about every nook and cranny. We have one like small little kind of crack on the underside of our awning that goes into our front door. And it's literally the only way that I know that bats live there is because there's like bat poop on the (laughs) ground all the time. And so and it's a lot. It's not just like a little couple little pellets or something. It's like a pile down there. And so <laughs> I, I don't I don't know where they are and I can't see them with my eye in the day if they're like sleeping or anything. Like I can't see them at all, but they're definitely up there. Wow. And so, you know, or we just got a new car in November and it's, you know, parked outside and we had, I had a rock get stuck in my brakes. And so it was just oh, like man. super loud and screechy. And so our foreman like helped look at my car and he just wanted to look under the hood because he's like, it's a new car. It's cool. And there was already a mouse like nest inside <gasps> sitting on the engine oh of just God. like insulation that they had pulled no. out <laughs> and just like made a cute little nest. Oh and so God. he's like, oh, great. So like a little bit of a fire hazard here. <laughs> yes. So this is all like very normal part of living yeah. in rural areas. So you do like you, our other car. The whole reason that we had to replace our car was yeah. because our oldest one was totally infested by mice. Like they had chewed their way into the cabin and Jordan Whoa. had to like put mouse traps in there. And they just like we tried and did everything that we could do and we could not get them to not come in our car. So they chewed the wiring. They just are crazy. That's and, insane. Yes. And like to your point about how the, the tiniest space that a mouse can squeeze through, like our first year of beekeeping, we didn't have a hive reducer on the front of the entrance. It was just like a thin, tiny opening that's literally like a quarter of an inch tall and then maybe a foot wide. And the bees had passed away over the winter, unfortunately, um, from like a yellow jacket thing. But literally, like when we opened up the hive, it kind of smelled weird. And then there was like a a mouse den it had overwintered in the hive and somehow literally compressed itself 
to be under a quarter inch to fit in the front entrance. And I was like, how is this possible? Like it must have been a shrew, maybe like a tiny mouse, but still like a shrew could still do a lot of damage with wiring or just the smell, you know, of them nesting in your home. It's not a great smell if anyone's ever had like mice in their house. It's not fun. Right. Yeah. So so important to think about all that kind of stuff. Yes. We were just talking about how we needed to get a couple cats probably around the house so so part of your like home building journey will be like saying yes to pets that you normally would say no to because (laughs) you have to deal with the other pets that are around your house so yeah yeah so we'll probably be getting a couple cats to help with that yeah yeah that's a good call too i'm curious what the mice situation will be like once we build out there i'm sure we'll figure it out pretty quickly there are definitely Mice around here, but we've seen more rats, unfortunately, in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were getting into the chicken feed for a while because that really draws them out. But we switched to a different feeder now. That's by weight. So the chickens have to like step on a little plate. Oh, wow. And it's weighted for like heavier creatures like a chicken uh, rather than vermin. So then when they step on it, it opens up the food slot and then they can eat it. Right. So that's been really helpful if anyone moves to a rural area and has like rat issues with the chicken feed. Highly recommend switching to a different feeder. Mm. But, you know, also going along with environmental protections like climate change is a big thing to consider, too. When you're moving into a more rural area, yes. uh, you're a lot more exposed to the elements. Yeah, totally. There. And generally speaking, the seasonal shifts that we have between winter, summer, especially in the gorge, are just becoming even more extreme mm-hmm. over time. And I don't see that really changing. So a lot of our, you know, when we have projects that were especially new construction projects, a lot of the conversation is like how do we make sure that you have power in the winter when we don't when we yeah. maybe lose power or like a tree blows over because of the winds and falls on the power line. Yeah. So I mean, I definitely think that's a big part of conversation. So like in our house, we did what's called an emergency panel, which essentially if the power goes out, is a generator hookup? And you can do it with generator or a propane tank. You, there's lots of ways that you can do it. But essentially, it diverts some of the power over to um, an emergency panel that would still be operable if we lost power and we had a generator hooked up to it. So in our case, it's uh, the lights on our main floor, the heat, and then our appliances. So we'd be fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you'd be good for a while until so then it's it would run off of either like a gasoline, like a gasoline based generator or propane based. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we're going to do something similar for us because we like have city electric. Eventually we'll incorporate solar panels. And then I think we do need to have a backup generator too, specifically because of the well. I think we're going to have a well for our water. Um, But I think it's a part of the code, actually, where you need to have some sort of backup electric Mm -hmm. system if you have a well on your property. Because otherwise, uh, when the power goes out, you have no running water because there's no way for the water to get up from the well and into your house. So you need a way to keep the pump going. So we'll definitely be getting one of those. I haven't looked into like propane versus gasoline, but we already have a propane tank or we're going to have a propane tank on the the land for like cooking stuff so it might just be easier to also do that right and just tap into the existing propane tank yeah 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 totally i think on our case we have it wired that way but we haven't bought the generator yet so the generators are quite an investment they're expensive and so we sort of weathered our last winter lost power for probably two or three days max um 
And did you guys just have a wood fire going or? Yeah, we had just like wood fire or um, we like will go to my mother-in-law's down the street <laughs> because she has <laughs> she has a, you know, more like a conventional wood stove that like gives oh, a nice. lot more yeah. radiant heat from it. So just doing that. But yeah, I think in Hood River, it's not uncommon for in winter um, to lose power for a few days. So and then because we're like semi-remote in Hood River, they... They're like less, we're on the lowest priority mm. to get our power back. So, and I get it. We're like not in the city. So yeah. um, they should definitely prioritize the city people. But yeah, so we're sort of saving for the generator. And then once once we find the right one, then we'll we'll take the leap on that. Yeah. And just like also in our area, but all across the US, like wildfires in the summer are becoming more of an issue. Yep. So like when you move out to a rural area. If there's a lot of trees around, try to create some sort of a fire break around your house mm-hmm. with the tree planting situation. Like, you know, I think it's recommended like at least 20 feet around your house with no trees mm-hmm. in that area. Because, you know, if there's a wildfire, you know, wood burns longer than like a grass. So if you have more of a like grass savanna around the perimeter of the house, that'll... It will burn, but it'll burn fast and then be done, whereas wood's way more likely to be able to spread onto a house because burning a tree would take like, oh, well, you know, it takes a while. It's a lot of fire fuel. Yeah. Um. So thinking about fire breaks mm-hmm. when you're planning out that kind of stuff and then, you know, like resistant materials like a metal roof mm-hmm. is really great because, you know, sparks can land on that. You don't have to worry about uh, metal catching on fire. And then with snow... It's nice because then it just slides off right. a lot more easily than some of the more textured roofs right. that you have. Totally. Yeah, we have a metal roof on our house and we also have like a super sloped roof. So um, snow doesn't really stay on our roof at all. It just like falls right off typically. Um, and then actually when we were building our house, there were two wildfires. There was the Eagle Creek fire, which anyone that is listening probably maybe has heard about that but uh, if not it was a really big fire in the gorge like hundreds of thousands of acres uh, that were burned and so that was just a couple miles from our house and I think we were at framing at the time so we had evacuated and we're like well if it yeah burns it burns and we move on but that one was fine and then we actually had one we had a bluff fire that was like one mile from our house on the other towards the other side. And that one was actually more scary because there was no access to our house except via train if the Ooh. if the fire like wrapped the cliff towards us. So oh, we would have been the first house right there. And so uh, one house on the bluff did burn down. And so we watched it burn as like the fire kind of wow. moved its way towards us. And so that one was actually really stressful. And we haven't done our landscaping yet, but part of our landscape plan was to build in like emergency um, sprinkler system and water system so that we could turn it on and leave it on and just really keep the house wet as needed. So, and then if you wanted to, another option for us was to uh, actually do sprinklers on the roof. That's a common thing. Oh, that's cool. So you can do that. There's roofs, exterior roof sprinklers. I think a lot of people think of like interior house sprinklers, yeah. which are, I'll admit, really ugly, but, um, and I try to avoid them whenever we can, but you can do exterior roof sprinkler, sprinklers to where you like essentially throw a dome of water over your house that's and just really keep it cool. wet. So if you know a fire is coming, you can just like turn mm-hmm. it on and evacuate and just like that helps keep the house yeah. wet enough. Yeah. Or at least cool. just like 
give the firefighters a break to like get caught up and not feel the pressure of it encroaching on your house. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes that's enough. We also had a railroad fire uh, last year that sparked right at that. You've been to our wood bridge. Like, yes, it was at the wood bridge. So they were the fire response crews were like on it. And I don't know, within like five minutes, there were like six fire trucks and they're blasting water and from the wood bridge down on the train tracks. And so I feel like it's like a very real subject for us on the farm. Like fires do happen. And it's a, especially with the trains, especially with, you know, just the hot extreme weather. So yeah, like you just have to be hyper aware of the coming weather extremes that climate change is bringing and how that's going to affect your area. If you're going to get more hurricanes or like if you're in the Northeast, you're going to get some crazy winter storms more often. Like, you know, how can you prepare yourself to be safe in those situations where you might be stuck somewhere or facing more extreme situations than you normally would if you were living in the city? Mm -hmm. And then other stuff to think about, too, is like the direction your house is oriented and how many windows you have on that wall. So like you know, south, when you're in the northern hemisphere, if you have uh, south facing walls or windows, it's like super sunny. So you'll get like sunlight in there all day. So if you are, you know, living somewhere that's super hot, like Arizona, maybe you want to have more windows on the north side of your house, right? Where you're not getting direct sun and then have less on the south side. So you're, you know, avoiding the greenhouse effect that's going to happen in the afternoon when you're just like straight blasted with like insane sunlight. So those are, you know, things to consider too when you are putting your house plans together. Yes. And then something else that I think you're familiar <laughs> with is uh, something my Aunt Jan calls big shopping. Do you know, have you heard? No, I don't know what this is. I mean, maybe after you explain it, but. So my aunt Jan lived in um, Santa Fe area, but like before it got more populated. So in the 70s, it was like pretty fairly rural, you know, out outside of this main city downtown part. And so she lived like in the desert there in a rural spot. But uh, because the winters there, they'd get snow and stuff. She was talking about how they would basically go shopping like once a month because it would just be so tedious to get out Mm -hmm. and just buy an excessive amount of groceries, (laughs) like, you know, $500 worth of groceries because you're not going to go shopping for like another month. Yeah. And just doing like, you know, planning out all the shopping you need to do, doing like one big trip to the city every month to get like all the things you need and then heading back out to your, your home because like... I mean, I know I take advantage of being in a more urban area so much when it comes to shopping because I'm like, I have everything within like, you know, 20 minute drive of my house. So I'm like, eh, it's okay if I like forgot to pick something up yesterday when I was at the store because I can head out tomorrow because there's like a Fred Meyer like a mile from my house or whatever. But I feel like in a rural area, you probably have, I would think you have to think more long term about that stuff because you don't have as many options at your fingertips. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, it's it's coupled, right? So there's um, you know, the issue of it just being a small town and not everything being there. Yeah. Granted, we do in our little town have a Walmart and a Safeway and all of the kind of bigger box stores that you would think of except Target maybe. But it's more of like your unique items that you would need specialty things, you know, those are going to be things that yes, you have to drive to Portland to get or have access to. But the other issue that we've kind of faced in Hood River, especially 
uh, post-COVID was that we have significant labor shortages in general. So when you go to the grocery store, even at Safeway, you know, it's not uncommon to have to wait for 45 minutes to check out. Like the lines are at the back of the store. There's only a couple checkers and it's just really, it's, it's more like time management in terms of like when you're going to have an okay attitude to like go and sit in line. So, yeah. I mean, me, I don't know. I, I make it a habit in my life not to like, I don't know, feel like I need to rush everywhere. So, mm-hmm. and plus like, I am so grateful for people that work in grocery stores and do those things. Yes. And so um, it's not like glamorous work. And so I appreciate totally. anyone that shows up and is willing to serve the community in that way. And so I'm pretty defensive to like all the grouchy people that are in line and yelling and screaming because it happens. I mean, you'll see it on the Hood River Happenings oh. page of all of these kind of disgruntled people yelling at clerks at Safeway. And honestly, that's not really going to help anything. That just literally makes the problem worse. Yeah. Because then more people want to quit, which contributes to the <laughs> Yeah. shortage so maybe be extra nice yeah. for the people if there's a really long line it's not their fault and they're i mean it's not easy for them because the hours that they are working they're like working non-stop now because right. you know there's just not enough other people to help so yeah be kind be gentle yes be appreciative so i mean it's I feel like it's less actually about not having what we need there because hood river has a lot of what we need and just more so about the complexity of small town living and how that manifests in this moment. You know, Mm -hmm. I think labor hopefully would come back around, but that's like a whole nother topic of conversation. (laughs) Start a political podcast. (laughs) Dive right into that. There you go. Affordable housing might be like an issue. And so (laughs) maybe that if we had more affordable housing, more people would live and be able to work these service level jobs. And so it's, it's a complex thing, but, um, generally speaking, like just having a willingness to know that things take time in a small town. There is no like, you know, we don't, you had to show me how to use DoorDash. I don't know anything about this. I feel like I'm so old because there's no DoorDash. There's no Uber. There's none of, there's none of that in Hood River. So, um, and I've lived in Hood River during the rise of all of those things. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know how to navigate any of that. You're so. like you're living like it's 1999. <laughs> Woo! You know, it's just <sighs> different in that yeah. way, but yeah, like things moving at a slower pace and yeah. just being ready for that and ready to embrace that and I think you know, I'm mentally there, but then I think it'll be different once I'm, you know, like going to do a photo shoot and I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot to d- get this thing. And it's like, oh, well, now it's pushing your shoot back two hours. I'll be like, oh, like, yeah. this is going to be a little rough. But, yeah. You know, it everything comes with like small sacrifices, right? Right. So you get to live in a beautiful, special place. You have a, a sense of community, but you, you know, things might move at a little slower pace than what you're used to. But all that I think you adjust to in time right. as you settle in. Like whenever you move somewhere else, there's always, you know, nuances that you have to kind of settle into. Right. Yeah. But I do just like really look forward to being out in nature more and, you know, just having that serenity and that peace of like looking out your window and and instead of seeing like a busy street or like five other neighbors' houses, just seeing like a bunch of trees. You right. know, it's just going to be so, so nice. And like, what is that like? Uh for you, Sam, like just mentally, have you noticed a difference for yourself living somewhere rural and being more immersed in nature than when you were living in the city? Yeah. I mean, I've always been really drawn to the idea of living on the farm ever since I met Jordan when we did our first like visit to meet the family. I was like, this is where we're going to be. And he was like, no, I will never <laughs> live on the farm. Um, but 
I convinced him and we're, we're there and we're doing it and we love it. And I just, I do feel like, you know, when I first, also when I first met Jordan, I, I said all that I would say a lot that I wanted to live in the city, like downtown Portland in the Pearl. Like I wanted to be a designer in the heart of Portland. And now that I am a designer in a rural area, I am grateful for like the slow speed the slow uh, movement of, of our work and our, and our lives coupled with the like very real expectation of working in the luxury market. So mm-hmm. I think if I were still living in the city and it were just like, go, 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 work, 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 and I had kids, it would be really, I would not be as happy. And I feel, I don't know, just when we sit on our porch and we like look out, there's a kind of a snaggly dead looking tree on the river that these three eagles love to just like sit on and perch every day. And so I think to myself often, like how many people in the world get to like sit on their deck and look at three eagles just like sitting there. And I, in a lot of ways, it feels very therapeutic and it just feels like um, we get to get back to a simpler way of living and back to like the roots of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. That's like what I've been craving for a while now, you know, like getting back in touch with that. Cause like right after Jeremy and I got married, we went to Greece, like maybe a year because uh, my dad's from Greece. And so we visited a lot of family members. Uh, and one of the places we visited was my Papua and Yaya's pistachio farm. And we got to kind of walk around the garden, which was really cool because it had a lot of the plants that my Yaya had planted, like a pomegranate tree and like little pretty succulents and stuff that were like all still there and growing. And it just was like so peaceful being surrounded by these plants and you know the scenery there was just like the pistachio trees like just lining the horizon and just like oh what like a nice slow way of living like what a peaceful existence yeah that would be and so i'm just excited to to have that because you know i mean it is convenient living here in the city sure. but you know it's really loud and the windows shake when cars drive by and there's just you know it's just that you don't get the same exposure to nature that you do and are just like really out there you know like totally in the elements well and it's funny because i think a lot of times people in this in our area you know hood river is known for water sports and then you know mountain sports and so and hiking and so there's an abundance of different options for outdoor play and recreation but people will ask like if we get tired of being out there and kind of being immersed in that and I I don't think of a time that Jordan and I ever would like walk around the farm and go to the beach and be like oh yeah we're tired of this like (laughs) you just get something so much richer than yeah what you could otherwise experience you know kind of in suburbia which not that that's a bad thing and I know not everyone has access to like moving out to a rural area but what it has given my family and like the community it's given to my boys and just like the lifestyle of what we've been able to do is, is just really special. Yeah. And I do appreciate you saying that it is also a privilege to be able to do that because I know, you know, moving out to a rural area can end up being, you know, more expensive than living in the city, like depending Right. But especially if you are building, I will say that's all pretty much always more expensive is if you buy land and then build on it unless you're doing some sort of prefab situation. But yeah, but it is a huge gift. Right. To be able to do that. Well, and to be fully transparent, like Jordan and I wouldn't be able to afford to move out to Hood River and build a house if it weren't for my in-laws, you know, gifting us land. So 
we're just like a normal average family with two kids and like very real expenses in life. (laughs) And so um, we would not have been able to afford the house that we had if we also had the cost of the land that went into it. So uh, we feel definitely very privileged that we were that we were able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you can do property loans too. That's what Jeremy and I did. Uh, we did a property loan through the bank and then you can do a construction loan later. That's an option for folks. If you're like, you know, I'm not one of these people who's going around paying like all cash offers for right. like a house or land is like, you can go through the bank. Like that is a possibility too. So not to feel discouraged or anything. Yeah. 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 I feel like, I don't know. I think that was everything I could, <laughs> I was thinking of. With yeah. That. Yeah, I think just generally to to like bring it full circle, it's really just, you know, understanding the complexity of building on yeah. a project or a bro- building a project on a piece of land that has no site development. And then just like embracing what the community is of the the area you want to move into. Mm-hmm. So each area will have its own problems and its own, you know, situations. And so, you know, being willing to engage in the small town and being willing to like invest, I think it means a lot to the community as somebody that's married into a small town. Um, I think it means a lot when you are not born and raised in an area to just be willing to step into the small town Mm -hmm. nuance living, you know? Yeah. So whether that's like, engaging in discussions about affordable housing or like being willing to talk about problems and think about how to solve them or honoring the history of the space or the, yeah. the community, whatever that is. Um, yeah. I think it's just important to engage in all of that. I completely agree. <laughs> so let's dive into some listener mail, guys. We have some messages from you. So first, we'll kick it off with a question from Instagram from Kara. And she asks, how do you style a space to feel larger when it has low ceilings and not a lot of windows, which is a tricky, it's a tricky situation. What are your thoughts, Sam? Um, I definitely think a simplified color palette on the lighter side is important. Now, there are cases where doing darker colors actually makes the space feel bigger. That mm. is a thing, but it's really tricky to achieve that. So erring on the side of caution, go the other way and go lighter. <laughs> And then I also think mirrors can really help, like a really well-positioned mirror. And if you're not somebody that likes like plain, like sheet glass mirror, you know, even an antique mirror or something that has like more of a mercury glass vibe mm-hmm. to it, but like reflects light or space, I think is really uh, visually helpful. And then of course, like really good lighting, making sure that totally. you have really well lit, your space is really well lit and that you have ample lighting for whatever its use is, I think is helpful when you don't have a lot of access or when you don't have access to natural light in general. Yeah. And even like thinking about the mirror placement and the fact that you don't have a lot of windows, like maybe if you position the mirror on the wall to where it reflects towards a window that you do have, yep. it can kind of make it look like you actually have another window on that wall. Totally. When, when, even if you don't. Right. And I think just being like sensitive to the proportion of the space and the furniture that you put in it. So if you have a small space, don't put like super big, heavy furniture in it. You know, find things with delicate lines, whether that's, you know, you can still do a couch, but maybe it's not like- A big bulky guy. Yeah, maybe it's just got like really delicate, you know, arms and really refined lines. It's a little Um, love seat. Yes, and not like a super big bulky bookcase that's like really deep. Instead, something that's more, you know- 
low profile, shallower, um, hugs the wall really well. Mm -hmm. So, and generally speaking, bigger pieces of art like that fill up the wall rather than like a lot of little pieces can sometimes help like make your eye feel like there's more space there. So interesting. Random little tidbit. That's really helpful because I wouldn't have thought of that at all. But now that I'm envisioning it, it's like, oh, it makes sense because you have one big piece. You're like, wow, this feels big. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, totally. It's a trick. Trick of the eye. Love it. Learning. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I don't have anything else to contribute on that because I feel like that was all that I would have thought of and more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. (laughs) So our next question comes from Sarah on Instagram. And she asked a question that we're actually going to dive into in another episode, which I'm really excited about. It'll be about container gardening for all those folks uh, working with small spaces. But in the interim, um, she asks, what veggies can you grow in an apartment if you have no balcony? So this is really tricky. So if you don't have a balcony, I would really recommend, hopefully... You have some sort of south-facing window because, you know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, if you're in the northern hemisphere, south-facing window is going to get the most sunlight. So put your plants in front of your south-facing window, or if you don't, you'll need to get a grow light. Uh, almost certainly, you will need to get a grow light so that you can grow uh, your plants indoors because a north-facing window is not really going to be enough light for most vegetables. Um, So the ones you can do in front of a south-facing window or with a grow light would be, uh, that'll be easy, uh, are microgreens. You can do some smaller herbs, you know, like maybe some basil, some thyme, a little oregano, a marjoram, maybe a little sage pot. You could do cherry tomatoes if you get a good amount of south-facing sun, if it's like a nice big window, because tomatoes are sun-loving plants. They do need a lot of light. But if you don't have as much light, salad greens do really well with just, uh, you know, maybe an hour, a couple hours of sun a day. And then one thing that loves low light conditions that you could definitely do that could be like a fun project is uh, mushrooms. They're one of those mushroom grow kits. So that's pretty easy. They, you know, you just order it online. It comes. It's kind of like this wood pulpy block. And it's usually in some sort of like a bag, like a plastic bag. And you cut a couple slits in it. You like mist it inside with water every day. And then eventually you get mushrooms growing out through the little slots in the bag. And it's really cool. You can just harvest and start cooking with those. So that's like another cool, not necessarily a plant, but a fungi um, that's edible that you could start enjoying and growing yourself. Yeah. It's a really good question, guys. Definitely keep them coming. Yeah. We love them. Yeah. Feel free to send it over to us on Instagram too, if that's easier, at Feels Like Home Podcast. And if you have photos, that is so helpful. Um, so feel free to send over photos or videos of your space in question. We're really happy and excited to give specific instruction based on what your space looks like and what your needs are. So don't be shy. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's everything today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll talk to you again in a week. Bye. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. You can find our show notes with resources and links at feelslikehomepodcast.com. For design advice, send in your listener mail at feelslikehomepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at feelslikehomepodcast. The Feels Like Home Podcast is produced by Jeremiah Flores and hosted by interior designer Sam Strzok and styles and photographer Eva Cosmos Flores. Thanks so much for tuning in and stay cozy, friends.